Now, I want you to just think about that word, holy. I want you to think about holy. I want you to think about holiness. What, what comes to mind when you hear that word? And I want you to just be honest with yourself. You can even say it out loud. I won't laugh at you. Well, maybe I will. But some of us, we think different things about holiness. Maybe if you're like me, you, you remember some friends that you had, and when you, you hear the word holiness, maybe you think of women with really long hair and men with really short hair. Or, or maybe you think about jean skirts for women and uh, neckties for men. Maybe that's what you think of when you hear the words holiness. Maybe you hear this in your mind, we don't drink, smoke, dance, or chew, and I don't run with those who do. If you haven't heard that before, you're welcome. When the scripture talks about holiness, is it talking about these things that we've listened, or listed out? Maybe your brain goes to boring, stuffy Puritans. Maybe you think of Puritans. Maybe you think of Puritans as, uh, this is what's been said of them, the suspicion that somewhere, somehow, someone is having fun. Maybe that's what you think of when you hear the word holiness. But what does the scriptures teach us about holiness? Does it teach us that we're to have long hair, that we're not to use playing cards, or that we're to read the Puritans and emulate this superimposed stereotype of them that they didn't know how to have fun? Is that what God's calling us to? Well, I think we'll understand a little bit more about holiness, and I think it will be less of a bad word for us this morning after we look at the text and ultimately look at Jesus. And so with me, would you look at Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12. You're welcome to, to just grab that black hardback Bible that's in front of you. We've been in Hebrews so long, uh, so many people have opened up to that page that if you open up, it'll probably just, if you grab that book, it'll probably just open itself up to page uh, 1196. But if it doesn't, that's the page number 1196. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 17. 12 to 17. What does the scripture say? It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls or fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now in total dependence on God? Father, we again, we submit ourselves to you and we ask that you would bless us. God, I don't want to just use a 
a word that we don't really know what it means, would, would you really bring us joy and happiness? Would you make our lives more conformed to you and by that bless us through the reading and preaching and understanding and meditating of your word? This is our only hope. This is one of the reasons why we've gathered here this morning. And so we look to you now and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oftentimes I'll give you the main idea that I think is coming to the top here this morning. And I want to do that. I want to give it to you right at the beginning. The main idea is this, that God's goal for his children is holiness. And it should be our goal also. God's goal for his children is holiness, and it should be our goal also. Maybe you think this is too elementary this morning. I know, in part, I think this is a very elementary idea. It's so simple. And yet the disconnect between those two parts of of that main idea is incredible, and it's incredibly sad. Knowing that God wants us to be holy, but that not always being our goal for whatever reason. I hope this morning that as we consider God's goal for us, God's goal for us in disciplining us, God's goal for us long term in spending eternity with him as holy people in a holy place, Worshiping a holy God, I I hope that that would, in manifest ways, in real ways, begin to even more become the goal of your heart. That that would be the desire when you wake up, more than a cup of coffee, more than a good day, more than a happy weekend, that you yourself would be holy as God is holy. Now, this morning, we're going to look at three words. We're going to look at this word holiness. It's a, it's a big word here in this text, and we're going to look at another word. We're going, to, uh, we're going to look at this word peace, something that God has commanded us to have with other people. And then finally, we're going to look at a word oversight. And you probably won't see it in your copy of God's word, but it's there. I'm going to prove that to you. But we'll look at these three words, holiness, peace and oversight. And at the end, I just want to give you four simple explanations, or, or not explanations, but ways that we ourselves can become a more holy church together. And then we'll end by just looking at Jesus. We'll stand and respond after considering him, and we're going to sing about him. And so that's the trajectory of our day today. Let's start with this word holiness. Holiness. Well, before uh, we actually talk about that word, I want to just kind of frame up where we are, and we can do that by looking at verse 12. There's a therefore, and we know the statement. What is the therefore, therefore? That's what we're to ask. If we're to be students of the word of God, when we see therefore, we say, okay, what is it therefore? Well, what's, what's, what's preceding? We need to know that. Well, what's preceded is this idea that uh, the people of God can experience persecution. People of God can experience difficult times. And when we experience those difficult times, particularly even here in this case, at the hand of people who hate us and hate God, we're also to recognize that God in his sovereignty as the king of all things is allowing that and even using that purposely 
to shape us in some way, to shape us into the image of Jesus. In other words, to make us holy. And so verse 12 says, therefore, because that's true, because he's just told us that we are to now look at everything that happens in our lives and say, God, how are you using this to make me more like Jesus, to hate this world and to love my Lord? Because of that, what are we to do? Well, we are to lift our drooping hands. We are to strengthen our weak knees and we are to make straight paths for our feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. This is soul talk, friends. Some of you have been sick recently and you've kind of experienced the drooping hands. You might not say it that way. You've experienced the the weak knees, the inability to walk a straight line. No, not because of alcohol, but because you're just so crushed and tired. And if somebody were to walk into the room and see you on the bed or see you on the couch with the man cold or the debilitating, uh, whatever it is, and they were just to say, feel better, stand up, strengthen your hands, strengthen your knees, walk a straight line, quit being such a baby, how effective is that really? When physically we are unable to stand up, physically we're unable to have the strength in our hands that we want to have, if it were that easy, we would do it. And that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about your physical hands. He's not talking about your weak knees. He's speaking about your soul. And so many of us here this morning, we are tired. That's the drooping hands. Maybe it'd be helpful for you to think about a boxing match. Many of you are not boxers, but some of you are aware. You know the the idea that the coach is going to say, get your hands up, get your hands back up, guard your face. And what happens when somebody, uh, a boxer becomes tired? That's one of the first things that they end up doing is they put their arms down. Why? They're tired. They've had their arms up, they've continued to fight, and now they're just flat tired. And what about weak knees? Well, spiritually speaking, what do weak knees stand for? Weak knees stand for this idea that there's fear. Fear. Not just that you're tired, but that you're afraid. When you think about the difficulties that you've been facing, you might say, well, I'm just tired. I'm tired of persecution. I'm tired of relational difficulties. I'm tired of fighting sin. I'm tired of raising kids. I'm tired of forgiving my spouse. I'm tired of fighting to pay bills. Whatever it is, you say, you fill in the blank and you say, I'm just, I can't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And the Spirit of God comes to us this morning through his word and he says, no, 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 get your hands back up. And you say, but I'm just tired. Get your hands back up. We're doing something. We've got some more rounds to go. Guard yourself. Don't, don't stop. But some of you aren't so tired, but you're just afraid, and you've maybe even misunderstood what God has been doing in your life, and you've thought that the, 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 the things that you're experiencing in life are really outside of God's control. They're not the same thing, and last week we looked and we saw it's the same thing. God is using everything in your life to shape you and to train you and to discipline you to make you holy. And you say, well, I've been afraid of this whole time that God has abandoned me. I've been afraid that God hates me. I've been afraid that he's rejected me. 
I've been afraid that I won't make it. And this text is saying to you, not physically, but spiritually, get your hands up, stand up straight, and, make a, and walk a straight line here. Stay on the path. Why? Well, look at this last part of verse 12. It says, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's this idea, when you run on the path, you're, you're less likely to sprain an ankle. And when you recognize that the work that God is doing in your life, it, it's not there to destroy you, but it's actually there to heal you. It's actually there to work out something good in your life. And what is that good thing? Well, we saw it last week, the fruit of holiness. We want holiness in our lives, and that's what God wants for us. What's holiness? Well, here's a definition for you. It's the state of being set apart and dedicated to God. The state of being set apart and dedicated to God and that's, uh, that's helpful for us, but what's it characterized by? Well, it's characterized by, in our lives, moral purity and obedience to God. So holiness is the state of being set apart and dedicated to God. What does that look like? Well, it looks like moral purity and it looks like obedience to God. And God's goal is, is that this be true of you right now? And some of you are thinking because you know a little bit about the scriptures, and I'm so glad that you do. You're saying, but wait a minute, I'm trying to figure something out here. God wants us to be holy, but aren't we already holy? Haven't we already been made holy? And you say, well, I've not paid attention to every single text and sermon that's, that's come across this podium here in Hebrews, but I think I remember something about God saying we're already holy. And you're right. So look back at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, particularly verse 10. Hebrews 10, 10, it says, and by that will, speaking of the will of God, the will of Jesus specifically, coming to earth to die, to be buried, to resurrect, all so that his people could be forgiven. It says, and by that will, the will of Jesus, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. When we think of holiness, church, we are to think about this idea that if you are in Christ, if, if you're a Christian, if you now look to Jesus as your Lord and you say, I believe that he has made me one with, the, with, with God, he has taken away my sin, and I believe uh, that he is even now working in my life, then Jesus is your Savior, you have been sanctified. You have been cleansed. You have been made righteous. And yet at the same time, at the same time, there's another verse that we looked at last week. Chapter 12, verse 10. What does it say? It says that God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Maybe even more helpful would be verse 14 from today's passage. Speaking of holiness, it says, 
Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Maybe you see the issue here. There's a completed work in the past that God says of all those who trust in Jesus, that work says that God has already made you holy. But then there's another sense that we need to strive for holiness, particularly the holiness. And so there's several different ways for us to think of holiness or uh, maybe another word that's very closely related to holiness, sanctification. The process of one becoming holy. Well, we think of it in a couple ways. The first is positional holiness. Positional holiness. Holiness. Positional holiness is what we see in chapter 10, verse 10, where God looks at us and he says, the work of you becoming holy is finished. I'm declaring you holy. I'm declaring you righteous. I'm taking a foreign righteousness, a foreign holiness, and I'm placing it over you. That's positional holiness. It's completed. It's finished. But positional holiness empowers something. Positional holiness empowers progressive holiness. That'd be something helpful to write down. Positional holiness empowers progressive holiness. What's progressive holiness? Well, progressive holiness is the process whereby you, in this life, become more holy. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God using the Holy Word of God amongst the holy saints of God to work out an evidence of positional holiness. If positional holiness empowers progressive holiness, well then progressive holiness evidences positional holiness. Think about that. Progressive holiness, the work of God ongoing throughout your life, that progression, it evidences positional holiness. When this scripture passage here says that we are to strive for peace and we're to strive for holiness, it's not saying strive for this positional righteousness, for this positional holiness It's saying, no, strive for this progressive holiness. God has declared you holy. He's made you holy. Now, out of that work that he has already done, now work it out. I love what one pastor says. He says, believe the miracle, play the miracle. Believe that God has actually done this work, and because of your faith that he has already done it, now act like he has done it in your life. Some of you might be saying this morning, how in the world are we to think of this text? That we are to strive for holiness, and if we don't have that progressive holiness in our lives, we will not see the Lord. We, we are buckled by that, many of us. We're crumpled by it. We would begin to think that is, is maybe the scriptures at odds with each other, is, 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 is holiness at odds with grace. Grace being the free gift of God. 
He would give us salvation freely, not because we've earned it or because we've strove for it. It's holiness at odds with grace. The reality is absolutely not. Holiness is not at odds with grace. You striving for holiness is not at odds with God's free gift. No, holiness is the result of grace. Holiness is the result of grace. Holiness is the evidence of grace. If we were to be a little bit silly here this morning, but some of you, but this is a little bit real, we all would in some way or another enjoy the idea that Bigfoot is real. And some of you would say, no, he is real. Well, let's talk about it just for a little bit. We can, let's have grace for one another. We're going to talk about peace and uh, the, the factions that are stirring up in our church for those who believe in Bigfoot and those who don't. But let me just say this. If, if I wanted to believe Bigfoot is true, and I'll, I'll admit, there's part of me that wants to believe that Bigfoot is real. And if you're honest, you do too. Now, you don't want it to be in your neck of the woods, but you'd love to see a video of Bigfoot finally caught on camera, and, and there he is, and there he is banging a, a stick against a tree and plopping around in the mud and screaming at night through this wooden cone that he's made. We would all would love for that to be true, just not in our area. It would make for, for great conversations at dining room tables and over coffee. But let me tell you what's not going to happen. For those of us who believe that Bigfoot is not real, but would also like for him to be real, let me tell you how you don't make it real. You, 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 don't, go and you, you don't go take a big stick and beat it against a tree so that you can leave evidence that Bigfoot was there. You don't make these big molded biped-looking feet and run around in, in mud prints there in the state park trying to create evidence of Bigfoot. You don't get up late at night or early in the morning and go out and wail close to somebody's house so they can believe that that wailing is some sort of a mating call of some lonely, lonely Bigfoot. You say, well, that would help to create a belief that would help to create evidence for Bigfoot, and it most certainly will. And I would argue it has. And yet it is no more closer to making Bigfoot real than Bigfoot himself. What are we saying? What are we talking about here? Well, holiness is the same way. You cannot receive grace by manufacturing evidence of grace. You can't do it. There's no way for you to truly backflow in that way. You can't earn God's free gift of grace by manufacturing some sort of holiness in your life. It can't be done. And yet the opposite is true. If there truly is a positional holiness, if God truly has made you his, if Christ's blood truly has cleansed you, and as Hebrews 10.10 10 says, you have been made holy, then brothers and sisters, you certainly will find evidence of it in your life. You certainly will. Holiness. Something that God says will be in the lives of those who are truly his. And yet it's something that so often we truly don't want. Maybe it's because we don't understand it. Maybe it's because we don't understand holiness. And I want to talk this morning about 
Five things, quickly, as we think about holiness. Five things that holiness is not. Now, it might be in part, but it is not the whole. So here's five things that holiness is not. Number one, avoidance. Number one, avoidance. Some of us are satisfied with this idea that as long as I don't watch rated R movies or play this sort of game or with, with, with playing cards or dance or whatever it is, that somehow God will make you holy or that you are holy. Some of us this morning, some of us young people, maybe we think that, that holiness is not shooting up in the alleyways here in Hagerstown. Almost everywhere we look, there is evidence of depravity and brokenness, evidenced by drug use. And some of us would say, well, we don't even know where to get drugs. We don't even know where they get those fancy needles. We don't even know, know where they get these things. And somehow we equate not knowing where, they, where we get these things with as holiness. We've talked about this before, but not having the ability, not having the access to some sort of sin does not automatically equal holiness. In the same way, you can't just create a list, although there is a list in the scripture, both in the old and the new, that God says, hey, my people will avoid these things because they're holy. At the same time, he's not saying this is the only way that you will become holy. And this is certainly not the only evidence of holiness in your life. Some of us are thinking, hey, I, I, I'm not so sure I want to be holy because I think it's really just a list of things God doesn't want me to do. The reality is uh, holiness is really uh, the process of you becoming holy as God's saying, I want them to have joy and I want them to have joy to the full and the more holy they are, the more they're actually going to enjoy my holy heaven. It's not about avoidance, friends. Holiness is not about just avoidance. Number two, it's not, a, it's not old-fashioned. Holiness is not old-fashioned. God is holy. When he created this earth, and he placed man and woman in that garden, you know what it was? It was Holy. It was in line with him. You say, well, why did God create a garden? Because it was set apart. It was for a specific purpose. And so you say, well, that's, that's kind of going against your point. The garden was a long time ago, Pastor Josh. Now old uh, being holy is a bit old-fashioned. Well, I want you to think about the future. I want you to think about the future. When, when the scriptures say in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, that People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all gathered around the throne. And what are they doing? They're praising God. That's incredible. And what will they do for all eternity? They'll be doing just that. And what are they wearing? They're wearing white robes, symbolizing what? Holiness. Holiness. You say, well, Doc Martens aren't really fashionable anymore. Neither are, uh, neither are um, Chuck Taylors. Now it's, 
Now it's the, the Nike Air Force they're in, and they're in today. Well, they'll be gone tomorrow, and some other fashionable sh- sneaker will be cool in 10 weeks or in 10 years. But you know what will always be popular? You know what will always be fashionable? You know what will always be relevant? Holiness. Holiness. It's not old-fashioned. We like to think, well, well the, what we experienced or what we hear about people experiencing in the 50s or some bygone era, that's holiness. Listen, some, some generation's list of things that they avoided, that's not. That's not holiness. That's old-fashioned. Point number three, what is holiness not? It's not avoidance. It's not old-fashioned. And it's not optional. Holiness, holiness is not optional. There's some of us this morning that would, when we consider holiness, we would uh, uh, sort of fall on the legalistic side. And what does the legalistic side mean? Well, the legalistic side says something like this. You can somehow earn God's favor in your life if you do these things. You can secure God's free grace if you do these things. That's, that's legalism. And there's others in here that would say, well, we hate that. We hate legalism. Maybe we've even tasted of it. We've experienced legalism and we say, I don't like that. I don't like where my heart wants to go in that and I don't think it's the gospel. And so we run the other way. And what's the opposite of legalism? Antinomianism. Antinomianism is a, is a fancy uh, $2 word that simply means no law. Free grace. Whatever, whatever, you're positionally sanctified, so it doesn't really matter what your life actually looks like. God looks at you, declares you righteous, and now you can go live like anybody else, and and that's going to be great. Well, this scripture here, verse 14, comes right up against that idea. Comes right up against it. It says, no, you, you you, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's something that God's already done. Furthermore, it's not optional. It's not optional. God says in his word, without holiness, you will not see me. In the end, when you stand before God and you say, God, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready, he's going to say, you, 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 didn't, you didn't really go through the holiness preparation plan, did you? I don't see it. I, don't, I actually don't think I know you. The reality is whoever really is positionally sanctified will be progressively sanctified. If you were to travel to a foreign country and to stay a few days, you might think, well, do I need to check a bag? Check bags are optional. You say, well, what about uh, some, some, uh, some reading material and a neck pillow for the long flight on the other side of the world? It's It's optional. Some of the younger teenagers here are like, hey, what about underwear? Do I need to bring a couple extra pairs? Again, optional. You know what's not optional if you're going to go to a foreign country? A passport. A passport. Why? Well, what's a passport do? Does that really make me a citizen of this country and a visiting citizen to that country? No, it doesn't make you a citizen, but it is certainly evidence that you are. And so it's not optional, friends. God promises us 
that he will work out sanctification in our lives and that that's not an option and that is precisely why he disciplines us. So it's not optional and it's not easy. It's not easy. That's number four. Holiness is not easy. Where did you find that at? Well, maybe just in my life, you've experienced it too. I'm not holy. I want to be holy, and I found that to be very difficult. But what's better than my, my, my story, well, the word of God? What does it say in verse 14? It's, it's a command. It says, strive. Strive. What does that word strive mean? Well, it means it's not going to be easy. Struggle, and it's in the present active, which means it's not just like try to do it, and then once you've done it, you're done. It says keep on striving. Keep on fighting. Keep your arms up. Keep your knees strong. Keep your eyes in front of you, and don't give up. Why? It's not easy. The scriptures, when talking about the process of sanctification in your life, say that it's akin to putting to death the old man. Putting to death, wrestling and fighting, trying to kill the old part of you. It's not easy. Holiness, friends, is not easy. And that segues well to the last thing that holiness is not. Holiness is not impossible. Holiness is not impossible. Now that's a reality that some of us wish we really felt. It's a reality that many of us wished we experienced and could even testify to this week. We say, I've tried to be holy. I've tried to be holy. I, I, I really, really have. And yet, I found it to be near impossible, if not impossible. Unattainable. I want to read this passage of scripture for you, and it's one that's well known. If you're familiar with the scriptures, particularly this one, I don't want you to look at it. I want you to just close your eyes and think about it as I read it. I'm not even going to tell you where it's at because I don't want you to start quoting it. Just think about what I'm saying, or better, what God's saying. You have been saved by grace through faith. Some of you already started quoting it. You've been saved by grace through faith. Think about the meaning. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Friend, it's not a result of works. You, could, you can't boast about this. Verse 10, we often forget this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's it saying here? It's saying a lot. But the most helpful thing for us as we consider what we're studying in chapter 12 of Hebrews is this idea that God has positionally made us holy. He's given us a gift that we can't earn. And that happened a long time ago. And then it says, and God prepared a long time ago 
that those who would receive this free gift of grace, that they would walk in holiness in the future. He made preparation for you to do that in the past so that you can do it in the future. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that help us this morning as we consider, I just don't think I'm making much much progress. One of my favorite philosophers, he's speaking of this idea of sanctification and us looking at ourselves and looking at somebody else, particularly looking at somebody else and saying, that person claims to be a Christian and they're actually kind of a rotten person. How many of you guys, let's raise your hand, don't look at them immediately, but you know a Christian and you think, that person's kind of rotten. Well, none of you know that person and none of you need help with your finances, apparently, according to what you didn't raise your hand on last week. But, But anyway... Each of us knows somebody like that. We've met somebody and we say, man, that person's just rotten. And they claim to be a Christian. How is that possible? Well, Lewis helps us and he says, God is certainly changing them. He is certainly changing them. And you just didn't see where they started from. You've forgotten maybe in your own life, Christian, where you've started from. You say, how, how am I not farther along in the process than I am right now at this moment? See, this is evidence of it being impossible. And God says, oh, brother, sister, calm down. I've promised to do this work in you, and I will do it surely, and it will take time. And remember where you came from. And give grace where people or other people have come from and where they're at in their process. When you think about sanctification and this idea that it needs to be a progressive sanctification, I want you to think about this idea that it is mounting evidence. Mounting evidence. Progressive sanctification is mounting evidence of positional sanctification. What do I mean by mounting evidence? Well, mounting in the sense that it's increasing. Now, at the rate of your neighbor, at the rate of the person sitting in the pew behind you, maybe, maybe not. Maybe greater, maybe lesser. And yet, if you are truly a Christian, holiness, the holiness of God will be mounting in your life. It will be increasing. And it will be evidence Similar to this idea of a passport, does a, does a passport make you a U.S. citizen? A U.S. passport make you a U.S. citizen or a Canadian passport make you a Canadian citizen? No, it doesn't. But if you really are a citizen of Canada or a citizen of the United States, of wherever it is, then there will be evidence that comes along with it. That's holiness. What is holiness not? Well, it's those things that we've just worked through. Well, what is holiness? Well, I think it'd be helpful for us to look at Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Starting in verse 12. It's on the screen there. You can follow along. If you're not quick in turning in your copy of God's word, you could always take a picture of that and come back to it later. I want you to look at what it says here. The scriptures tell us the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So, then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
I think it's a helpful definition of righteousness, of holiness. It's casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light. This is what it's going to look like in your life as you progressively become more and more holy, more and more casting off works of darkness, more and more of putting on the armor of light. But let's keep reading. Maybe it'll give us some practical examples. Let us walk properly, it says in verse 13, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousies. These are the things that we cast off. These are the things that we put away. These are the things that we put to death. And then what do we do? Well, we are to, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What does holiness in our lives look like? It looks like us in practical ways, walking in the light, casting off things associated with darkness and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. The mature Christians in here have often mocked WWJD. But why? I think that's a wonderful question. Will that earn a salvation, Pastor Josh? Absolutely not. Does that mean I really am a Christian if I wear the bracelet regardless of the color? Although blue is the best. No, not in the slightest. But asking yourself in a practical way, saying, what would my Lord do in this situation? Well, he wouldn't operate in orgies and drunkenness and sensuality and immorality, and he wouldn't quarrel and be jealous. That's not what he would do. Put those away. Put it to death. Cut it out. Put it off. And put on Jesus. I want to become a Christian. What should I do? Begin to dress like Jesus, wear air Jesuses? No. No. But we should be asking questions. Well, what did Jesus look like? This might be a weird one, but I want you to think about it. What did Jesus sound like? The tone of his voice, the way that he interacted with people. What sort of fragrance did Jesus put off? Some sort of putrid death? Some sharp sense of self-love? Or did he smell like Beauty and gentleness and love and kindness. And you say, that's weird, but you know what I'm talking about. We've all ran into people, yes, that we thought should have been farther along in their Christian life, and they just acted like a rotten Christian. And yet, we've all ran into people that when they left, we thought, this room smells like Jesus was here. That's what we're called to do. That's what we strive for. What, how would Jesus act in this moment? Well, surely he'd act holy. He'd put these things off and he'd put this thing on and that's what we're called to do. And I love verse 14. We're gonna transition here to look at another word. We covered a lot in holiness. We'll cover a lot less in peace, but I want you to see that they're actually connected. Peace and holiness. One of the chief ways that we demonstrate our holiness is by having peace with others. 
by having peace with others. Jesus said it very often. He, speaking of his church, said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. One of the reasons why we don't experience peace in certain relationships and circles that we run in is because there's not as much love as there needs to be. There's just not enough love. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're my disciple, if you think you're my disciple, but you really don't love the church, then you're probably actually not my disciple. He's not talking about stained glass and bricks and steeples. He's saying, if you don't really love my people, then you probably don't really love me. If you're always at odds with my people, there's a really good chance that you might be at odds with me. It's not always the case. But they certainly are connected. But is that all that Jesus is saying here? Is that all that the text is saying here when it says, strive for peace with everyone? That's what it says, doesn't it? Strive for peace with everyone. Is it speaking there of Christians alone? I, I think by making that statement, it's actually implying it's not just about Christians. Romans says that as much as is possible, chapter 12, verse 18, if possible at all, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. If you think that you have some measure of holiness in your life, but you don't have very much peace with God's people, I'm not saying that you don't have disagreements, frustrations with one another, but if you're regularly at odds with God's people, there's a really good chance that you don't actually have holiness like you think you do. And it's time to reflect. You say, well, nobody outside the church likes me because I'm a Christian. Maybe that's true, or maybe they just don't like you because you're rotten. That's heavy, but it's true. The scriptures tell us as much as is possible that we are to be at peace with all people. Why? How are those two things connected? Well, we can continue exploring the connection by saying that what does God do whenever he wants to make peace with mankind? Well, he sends his son who dies on the cross. He's totally misunderstood. He's thought to be a wicked man. He's thought to be the, the enemy of God. He lays his life down, and for the joy that was set before him, he endures all of this painful passion. The cross, being misunderstood, even the wrath of God. And what is his goal in all this? To make peace. To bring peace. Friends, the holiness of God is manifest in your life and will always be manifest in your life by resembling the work of Jesus in redemption. You know that there's holiness working in your life when you see peace as a result of your life. You say, well, that's not always true. You're, you're, you're right, it's not always true. And yet Jesus still says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they when they come into a situation, they're able to, as much as is possible in them, bring about peace and not contribute to more depravity and war. James chapter 4, we don't have time to go there, but James chapter 4 warns us and says, hey, don't you know why you're always fighting? Don't you know why you don't have peace in your life? 
Because you have sinful, selfish lusts that you can't get filled, and so does your neighbor, and they're fighting for their desires and you yours, and that's why you're always at war with each other. And there's no peace. There's no evidence of holiness there. So holiness and peace... God's goal for each of us, as we said at the beginning, is holiness. He wants you to be practically, manifestly holy in your life. And holiness is characterized by peace. And here's something that's really interesting, and I love it, I see it here in this text. Something that often gets in the way of peace in our lives is the oversight of others. It's the oversight of others. You say, well, again, you said that that word's there, but I don't see it. Look at verse 15. It says there at verse 15, in verse 15, see to it. That's one word. See to it. And it, that word that's there in the Greek, I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you because I'll probably butcher it and I don't want you to think I'm smarter than I really am, but it is related directly to the word bishop in the English language. And bishop means overseer. Okay? It comes from the word, uh, it's a compound word, uh, oversight or see. So somebody who has a higher line of sight and is responsible or able to see a bunch. And that's why pastors are called overseers. Not just because we stand a, a foot and a half above a stage and we can see the thinning spots on the top of a few of the men's heads. That's not why we're overseers, but because we are called to oversee the congregation. But what's interesting here is this is not a a scripture that is written just to pastors. Who is this written to? Well, it's written to the church. Remember, the book of Hebrews really is a letter. It's a sermon that a pastor preached and just wrote it down and the ship was getting ready to sail and he's like, I gotta finish this up. Okay, we'll speed up. Boom. All right, take it. Bring it, read it to them. And when they assemble together, what happens when they assemble? They say, hey, I got a letter here. I got a letter and uh, well, let's do that. Well, we're going to sing some songs. Uh, we'll take up an offering. We'll, well, then we're, we're going to read this sermon, right? Something like that. And they read that out loud. From the youngest to the oldest, they're hearing this, that each of them are to see to it that no one in the congregation does these three things. So I want you to think about this idea that God has called you to, in some sense, provide oversight to those on your left, right, behind you, and in front of you. Just take a moment, look around. It's weird. Look around. We do this often. Come on. Some of you act like you got a stiff neck. Some of you do. And if you got to, uh, just keep looking forward. Hey, most of the people that you are looking at right now, Christian, you are responsible to give oversight for And what does that mean? As we run this race together, we are to encourage each other. We are to look out for one another. We're not to pick at each other. We're not to trip each other up. No, we're not to lay stumbling blocks for each other. We're not to just consider our run and our walk to just be about our hands and our knees and our straight path, but to recognize that we're coming at this together And it's important that we recognize that we have a responsibility one to the other. 
And what is that responsibility? Well, look what it says. It says, look out that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This is a scary reality, and I don't want to skirt over this, although I know it could cause some serious anxiety for some of us. There's a possibility that some of us in here that claim the name of Jesus will not make it to the end. That's what this passage is teaching us. Some of you are going to think, well, we've got to double down, and I've got to make some, manufacture some evidence. No, we don't do that. It's by faith that we've been saved. Faith in the completed work of God, and out of that grace, out of that faith, in his completed work, we exercise holiness in our own lives. But there's this idea that there's some of us in this room right now that need to pay closer attention to some of the other ones in this room right now and say, hey, there's a, I, I need to do something. God has ordained me to do something, to have a part of the work in their life so that they can make it to the end. And it gets more specific. It, it says, see that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by many become defiled. Now, when we, when we look at this root of bitterness, sometimes we just take it at face value. We think, well, it just means if, if I get a little bitterness in my heart, then, uh, and I don't, you know, don't forgive somebody, maybe somebody sinned against me, and a little bit of bitterness gets in there, and then that bitterness makes this big plant, this big tree, and breaks things up, and it causes uh, much, much bigger problems. And that's sort of what it's saying, but really it's, 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 it's not. It'd be helpful for us to know the context. This is almost a quote from Deuteronomy 29, 18. Deuteronomy 29, 18. That says, beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Here's the idea. There, there is a reality that just as we look at Jesus and we think, hey, I want to look like him. The longer that we look at people who are walking away from God, the more in danger we are of also walking away from God. That's what this is saying. Beware of people who have turned away from God because what will happen? Well, that will plant a seed in your midst. It'll plant a seed in your house. It'll plant a seed in the pews of your church, on the block where underneath of your steeple. And eventually it will bear fruit and turn people away from God. And so it says, watch out. Friends, we've got to watch out for each other. We've got to look out for people who are turning away from God, that they themselves, their hearts will be turned back. And not just that they would be turned back, that, but that those who have turned away, that their lives are not witnessed in some sort of a way that would poison those still in the camp. And that's closely related to verse 16. It says, see to it, each of you, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. It's interesting that Esau is mentioned here. He's not mentioned because he was sexually immoral, although uh, some, some history does say that he was. The scriptures don't teach us that he was. The scriptures say that what he did was he saw a temporary fix and said that is better than the long-term promise of God. 
And that's worldliness. What God has offered us to trade the here and now for the promise that God has made. That's worldliness. That's unholiness. And, and to be worldly in the scriptures is the exact opposite of to be holy. And so it's saying here that in regards to sexual immorality, some of you are saying, I'd like to have a bowl of soup today instead of the, the promise of God's holiness and the joy that that would bring for all of eternity. What Esau said was, he said, hey, one session of pornography. Esau said, one 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 night stand. Esau said, one prolonged affair spread over months. They're just, a, just, they're worth everything. What the scriptures teach us is really that these sexual sins, the sexual immorality is simply a bowl of soup that we would trade everything for. Friends, this is such a pertinent illustration and thing for us to watch out for because of the ever-present nature of pornography. I don't want to be anachronistic here, but that word here for sexual immorality or being sexual immoral is literally the word porn. It's, It's so permeated our culture today. And the scriptures are saying to us this morning, parents, Friends, Sunday school teachers, life group leaders, D group leaders, D group members, fellow pew sitters, look out for each other. Why? Because sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. And sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And sin will ultimately cost you more than you intended to pay. That's what happened with Esau. At the end of his life, he says, I'd really like to get that blessing back. Now note, he didn't want God. He wanted his blessing. But he wasn't able to get it. Wouldn't that be sad if that was the testimony of one of us this morning? At the end of our lives, we say, "I I wish I could take it all back. And surely you can. There's always forgiveness. There's always repentance unless there's not. Unless you've turned away from God so many times that your heart is hardened. And although you want the blessing of God, you're unable to get it. There's some applications here for us, both to look at our own lives and to look at the lives of others. I think that's helpful for us this morning. We gotta realize that we are not alone in this fight. And that God is using all of us to grow in holiness. I want to give you just four, as we close, I want to give you four very quickly bullet points for how you can become, how you can help Hagerstown Church become a practically holy church more and more every week. First one is, number one, realize that you're not. Realize you're not. Again, we say, well, we're going back to the beginning of the sermon. Yeah, we kind of are. But you got, that's important. We've got to pursue holiness. We've got to strive for it because practically speaking, in our lives, we are not. Remember, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in his essence, he's saying, and I'm sending my Holy Spirit to prepare you. And so if we want to become a holy church, we have to realize that that's something we don't already have. So we've got to realize we're not. Number two, We've got to look out for one another. 
We've got to look out for one another. I think we do a good job as a church of already recognizing that we are in this together. We say, well, we have a very high view of membership. We're saying, hey, we're committing to each other and we're in membership. We're saying, please, I want you to look into my life. I want you to ask me hard questions. I want you to get in my grill and I want you to check me out and figure out what's going on. And I want to be accountable to you. Why? Why are we saying, why do we say things like that? Because we need each other. And this is not about you becoming more holy. It's about us becoming more holy. And we're not, and we need each other. And I think number three is even more practical for us. It's that we be easily corrected. It's that we be easily corrected. I know in my own life there's been times where I thought, why didn't that person correct me? Why didn't they help me? Yeah, I know I made this mistake. Yeah, I know I sinned, but they, they could have stopped me a long time ago. They could have said something seven months ago before all this happened. I think a good question to, for me to ask myself in that moment is, is am, am I easily entreated? Do people look at me now and think, well, I would correct him. I, I, I would come along lovingly, but the last time I tried, I got punched in the face. The last time I tried, I got shut down. Last time I tried, we had an argument. If that's, that's Church, we've got to be a church that's easily corrected. And that goes back to point number one. We've got to realize we're not holy. And God says, I want you to be holy. You've got to be holy. Strive to be holy. You need each other to be holy. And when we, all that in mind, we say, okay, all right, it's time to do work. When life group starts, when D group starts, you've got to say, hey, I'm not holy. I need help to become holy. And they're here to do that. Let's get to work. Tell me, guys, help me. Help me grow. And number four, and this is it, motivate via grace. We've got to motivate by grace. This is such a sensitive issue for us. And it'd be so easy for us just to say, you know what? In order to just avoid you know, falling off the, the wagon into legalism, let's just let's camp out in antinomianism. Let's just say, doesn't matter, God made us holy, he'll sort it out in the end. And this passage smacks us in the face and says, you can't do that. You gotta keep trying. And so we've got to motivate by grace. What does that look like? Well, it, it does not look like us saying, do you wanna be a Christian? You can't act like that. No, but we say, Brother, sister, God has saved you. He's delivered you from that for something so much better. The fact that I've seen in the past, I've seen evidence in the past of God sanctifying you in the past and it being completed in a positional sense. And I, I, I want even more evidence. I want even more confidence in you. I want you to have confidence that what he did in the past really did take place in your life. And so continue to work it out. Don't give up. Jesus has completed the work. Keep looking to him. I'm going to land this whole thing by saying this. How are we to become holy? Well, we've been saying it for a while. God's goal for us is to be holy. We should want to become holy. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by looking unto Jesus. That's what everybody in chapter 11 was doing. That's what the, the preacher has wanted us to do from, from verse one of, of chapter one all the way up to now. He wants us to look at Jesus and to consider his own life. Consider what he's done. 
and to run after that. And if we practice these four, even though it's not exhaustive, this, this four list of things that we can do, I promise you we will be a church that looks unto Jesus better and looks more like him very, very soon. I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I, wanna, I want you to, to spend some time reflecting in your own life. I started this time this morning by asking you, what comes to mind when you think of holiness? And if you're honest like me, maybe you thought weird people, boring people, boring lives. But I hope for all of us, after this time looking at the text, I hope all of us are thinking that it's beautiful. And if God wants that for us, that's what we want for ourselves. Is that you? If not, one of the greatest evidences of sanctification is repentance. It's repentance. It's saying, God, I used to think this, but now because of what you've shown me, it's this. I don't feel it all the time. I don't sense it all the time. But what you said is true, and I'm going to believe that. That's repentance. So maybe some of us, I know for me, I've got to repent that, God, I didn't want holiness. My biggest desire when I opened this text wasn't holiness. When I first put my feet on the floor this morning, my first desire was actually not holiness. But that's what God wants for us. And so we should repent. But maybe this morning as you're considering your life, you're thinking, hey, there's some practices in my life that as I've stepped closer to Jesus in this bright glory that is his, that emanates from him, I've begun to see some unholy practices in my life. Maybe that's you. And wouldn't, that, wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be fitting if right now you just, you line those things out and you said, that's, I'm done. This sort of place, this sort of thing, this habit, this type of music, whatever it is. Maybe you hear this morning and say, I, these things don't lead me to holiness. They lead me to darkness. And I'm going to cast it off. What is that thing? As we continue just to think through how this text applies to you, if, you, if the Spirit of God's doing work in your heart, then just drown me out. You do business with Him. But here's another question. Have you been looking out for the holiness of others? In the American church, we can get so focused on our own experience, what God's doing in our lives, and we totally forget what he's doing in the lives of the person sitting right next to us. Or the person at the other, on the other side of the auditorium or maybe even on the other side of the prayer directory. But God's doing a work in their life too, and he's wanting to use you. He's determined to use you in their lives. So what would it look like for you to actually look out for each other? For you to start to become a bit of an overseer yourself? What would that look like? And then finally, just think about this. Are you easily entreated? Are you easily approached? Are you easily corrected? Friends, if, if, if we are all willing to say, hey, we're not holy, we need to become more holy, and everybody else here is here to help us become holy, then we've got to let people in. We've got to invite people in. We've got to be ready to receive correction. 
We gotta be ready to give it. Let me just invite you to take some time. Think about this text for a few moments. Think about what God's doing in your life as he works out holiness in your heart. Father, we thank you that your word is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That we can come in here thinking that we're all put together and your scriptures can just cut us. God, we're thankful that you don't cut us apart. You cut the wickedness. You put to death the deeds of the flesh. You help us to cast off works of darkness and to put on righteousness, the righteousness of Christ in practical, practical and meaningful ways. God, we love you for that. We thank you for that this morning. We worship you because of these truths. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.